Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Sports Today. Lightning strikes at Madison Square Garden in Game 5. The Warriors' backs aren't quite against the wall yet, but they're getting dangerously close down 2-1 to the Celtics. And is college basketball more compelling than the pros? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. With under four minutes to go in a game that was tied 1-1, in a series that was tied 2-2 with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final, waiting just two games, two wins for whomever could steal that game five. It was Mikhail Sergachev who put in the goal that will send the Tampa Bay Lightning into game six with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final at home. Joining me now from Locked On Lightning, Adam Denker. And Adam, this was a game, as I said, that was as even as even could be. Hits, shots, saves, whatever you want to look at in a series that has been very much like that. What was the difference for the Lightning in game five? Uh, Mikhail Sergachev was the difference. Uh, I've stressed it all series long that the Lightning needed to get more contributions offensively from their demon, and Mikhail Sergachev answered the bell, scoring twice in this game. There might be some dis- there might be some questions there for the second one. It looked like it got went off Andre Palat uh, there on that second goal, but he ended up scoring uh, to put the well. Actually, it was Hagel, but still uh, contributions from your decor after. Ryan McDonough went down, but he came back uh, later in the game, was really the difference maker, and as well as Andre Vasilevsky, uh, really standing tall, standing on his head in this game, in what is really a tough environment to win for, for opposing teams now. Uh, the, the the Rangers have yet to lose a game going into this game tonight, uh, since game one of the opening series against the Penguins, and really the Lightning cho- uh, showed up and showed why they're the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion. I think the other part of this for me is, as I'm looking at this, is we have a quick turnaround. Game six is just two days away in Tampa, and now Tampa is at home. How much do you think that home ice and that quick turnaround affects this matchup? Well, Tampa has has just proven uh, that they could answer the bell whenever they need to. Uh, they've shown it throughout this entire playoff run. Uh, if there was any instance or uh, that you could see that that prepared them early on, it was that series against Toronto going seven. Uh, all the adjustments that they had to make in that series. And, and they had just amount um, as much amount of rest as they had in that series as they do in this one. And, and you know, some might say that that series was a little bit more difficult for them, uh, not, not taking anything away from the Rangers. But I think going back to Emily now with that momentum, winning a huge game as this, coming back from 2-0 in this series and winning three straight, they're going to go into Amelie, a place that they play relatively well in. Actually, not even that's an understatement. They play very well there. And especially with this loud, uh, raucous uh, Tampa Bay Lightning crowd, uh, it's going to be a very tough task to ask the Rangers to come back and win that game and send it back to New York, especially with a series clinching Andre Vasilevsky, who has been uh, nearly unbeatable in these games over the last couple of years. Yeah, they say in baseball that momentum is tomorrow's pitcher. And in the Lightning's case, it might be the next game's goalie, just given how good Andre Vasilevsky has been in this postseason. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I know the Rangers are going to come back flying, trying to pull all the tricks. And you saw it right there at the end of the game. Both teams, uh, the, 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 te- the the tempers finally flared. We we were kind of there was a little question of that with Ryan Reeves uh, in, waiting in the wings for this game. But you saw it there at the end. And, and I expect that the Rangers are going to be more physical in game in, in game six. But I would expect the lightning to come out just as hard. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. We have an important favor to ask you. We've been putting together a survey where we can learn more about listeners like you to make your favorite Locked On podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks in advance for your help. Coming up, the Golden State Warriors were clearly impacted by the TD Garden crowd. Could they block out the noise in Game 4? Here's what to look for on Bet Online, your number one spot for all your daily gambling needs. Let's take a look at a few lines. For Friday slate, the Boston Celtics are looking to take a 3-1 series lead over the Golden State Warriors. Bet Online likes the Celtics minus 164 to win. The New York Yankees had a rough outing last night, but Bet Online has them poised to remain the best team in baseball. Against the Chicago Cubs, the Yankees' money line currently minus 230. And the Philadelphia Phillies are on a seven-game winning streak, now just one game below 500. Bet Online has the Phillies minus 120 favorites to beat the Diamondbacks and achieve 500 status. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. The Oklahoma Sooners continue their reign of dominance over the college softball world. The Sooners swept the Texas Longhorns two games to none with a 16-1 victory on Wednesday and a 10-5 win on Thursday. The Oklahoma Sooners finished the season with 59 wins to just three losses and back-to-back college softball world series champions. LeBron James became a billionaire this week. In addition to his I Promise school and his new Akron medical facility, LeBron has said that when he retires from the NBA, he plans on owning an NBA team. He has now given that team a location, Las Vegas. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has said there are no plans to expand to Las Vegas at this time. But could that change for LeBron James to bring a team to Nevada? Always remember at this time is an important qualifier when you hear these figures talk. New Orleans Pelicans forward Zion Williamson is eligible for a contract extension this summer, but will he get it in New Orleans? And maybe more importantly, will he take it if it's offered? Pelicans Vice President David Griffin has said that he thinks of Williamson as a max player, meaning a contract worth $181 million over five years. But Zion has played just 85 games in three seasons. Are the Pelicans ready to take that risk on banking on him staying healthy? Does he just want to play somewhere else like New York maybe? The XFL isn't set to kick off for another eight months, but that doesn't mean the league can't make news. Coaching staffs are being announced with familiar names for NFL and college football fans alike. Greg Williams, best known for his role in the New Orleans Saints' Bounty Gate scandal, is back coaching with Reggie Barlow's team. Williams hasn't coached since being fired as the defensive coordinator of the New York Jets in 2020. Greg Williams, also famous for having two Gs in his name and for that little patch of 
blonde, white, in his goatee. I've always noticed that. Maybe, maybe famous only to me for that. Colorado Avalanche star Nazem Kadri is trending up following his thumb surgery earlier this week. The Avalanche are likely hoping this Rangers Lightning series drags out in hopes of Kadri being cleared in time for the Stanley Cup Finals. Here is another story you need to know. After a Game 3 loss in Boston with the Warriors now down two games to one, their backs aren't quite against the wall. But if they reached behind them, they, <laughs> they might be coming somewhere in contact with that wall. Not quite against it, but they're close. Joining me now from Locked On Warriors, Cyrus Satsas. And Cyrus, as we head into Game 4, it's not as if the Warriors haven't been in these sorts of moments before, or at least the core Warriors. But the core Warriors, at least two of the three, have been part of why we're wondering where this team can go from here because Draymond Green has not looked like the Draymond Green we remember. And although Klay Thompson gave the Warriors 25 points in in Game 3, it wasn't enough. So where do the Warriors go from here? One thing that, that really baffled me is why Steve Kerr went away from the recipe that worked in Game 2, which is utilizing his depth, utilizing a bench that throughout the season has come through for him. And and more specifically, I'm referring to Gary Payton II, who in Game 2 played 25 minutes and Game 3 played 11. Um, a very underrated player, Nemanja Bielica, who uh, I, I really wish the Warriors would play him more because every time he plays in this postseason, great things happen. Um, Andre Iguodala, who was uh, a weird bright spot in Game 1. Iguodala specifically played three minutes on Tatum, and in those three minutes in Game 1, Tatum had zero field goal attempts. Um, so, so there were things that have worked in games one and, and especially in game two, which was a blowout victory. Um, and for some reason, Kerr went away from that. And, you know, from my observation skills, I, I, don't, I wonder if it's because of the foul trouble that Stephen Curry got into early in the game, which kind of threw, uh, you know, the minute distribution off. Um, maybe it's because of a trust thing on the road. He wanted to go to his tried and true players like Wiggins at 40 minutes, Clay Thompson, you mentioned at 39 minutes. Um, but whatever the case may be, I I'm really hoping Kirk goes back to that bench because Gary Payne, the second can play tremendous defense. Um, Bielitsa can give them the size that can diminish those rebounding numbers, which were atrocious for the Warriors in game three. You talk about Clay Thompson, uh, you know, he had a, a good offensive outing in game three, but defensively that's where he hasn't really regained his old form. And especially against Jalen, like Jalen Brown is eating him up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The Warriors suffocating defense in game two was the reason for their success. And I really feel like that's what they need to focus on in game four if they're going to survive this series. And I want to give you credit because this is this is not Monday morning quarterbacking. You were saying after game two that you thought Gary Payton II was a key difference in that game. So this is this is not you going, oh, they lost. Let me say this thing. You were on it going back to game two. Quickly here on Jordan Poole, because he is not a, quote, core member of this Warriors team. He has not been in these wars uh, the same sort of way that that these other players have been. But he is a vital contributor on this team, or at least he was. Yeah. How can they get more from Jordan Poole? Because at this point, we can't say this is an inexperienced thing. He's been huge in this playoffs in big games already. It's a concern, no doubt. Uh, I was saying after game one that you 
that Kerr needs to have a short leash on him, depending on how he starts the game off. In game two, he started great and he shot five for nine from three. I think it was the he was the youngest player in NBA Finals history to hit five three pointers. And then in game three, he was one for four from three. And and the bigger concern for Jordan Poole is his defense, which is virtually non-existent. Um, they have other players they can use. I mean, you're right. Jordan Poole is a huge concern because it, apparently when he plays great, the Warriors play great as well. And when he struggles, um, I don't think Kearney should be giving him 25 minutes like he gave him in game three. Uh, Draymond Green laid an egg. Like he was a stinker. And I... I Unlike Jordan Poole, who I don't know the, if the Warriors are going to live and die with him, I, I just don't know if Poole's at that level yet. But with Draymond Green, you kind of have to. Like I can't, I, I just can't picture the Warriors just benching him um, if he's struggling. But you can do things to engage him. I'm, in Game Two, for example, uh, the Warriors ran the pick and roll a lot, and it worked tremendously, especially with Stephen Curry. But Stephen Curry's favorite pick and roll partners are Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, and for some reason in game three, they didn't go to that. And and I don't understand why. The Draymond Green thing is a, is a much bigger concern to me just because uh, he's playing horribly. I mean, there's just no way around that. He has as many points as fouls. Um, the team, incredibly, is playing better defense when he's off the floor in this series um, based on defensive ratings. So uh, in regards to Jordan Poole, if he struggles, I'm an advocate for pulling him if he's not playing great and giving those minutes either to Moody, to Gary Payton II. The Warriors have the reserves, and, and for some reason in Game 3, Kerr did not tap into it, and it remains to be seen if he's going to do that in Game 4. Coming up, why one of our hosts is just not impressed with the NBA Finals, or pro basketball in general. Don't you love a chewy, chocolatey brownie? What about a caramel brownie with that swirl right in there? What if I told you you can have all of that chewy, chocolatey goodness with 17 grams of protein? You can. Crumble Brownie Bars are back at Built.com right now, and you're going to have to act fast. These are fan favorites. Forget about dessert. These are better than dessert and way better for you. Just 130 calories with 17 grams of protein and only 4 grams of sugar. These things are covered in 100% real chocolate, and they taste Amazing, like everything that Built Bar does. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Of the top five most watched basketball games in 2022, three of them are North Carolina Tar Heels games. The top three coming in fourth and fifth are the second and third games of the NBA Finals. That game seven, one game format might be intriguing, but it's still not doing college basketball numbers. Why is this? Well, I'm going to put my cards on the table and say definitively the college basketball game is more compelling than the NBA game. And I know there's people listening out there that wholeheartedly disagree with me, and that's fine. But I'm saying that, and I believe it, and I back it up. Sure, the NBA is infinitely more talented, right? Like, I am not refuting that by any stretch of the imagination. Literally, any given year, the worst NBA team would demolish, wipe the floor with the best team in college basketball. Like, un unequivocally, that's a thing. But college basketball is just more interesting. The, the stories of these college basketball players, of these teams, of these coaches, 
overcoming things. It just draws eyes and ears in, in a way that the NBA often doesn't. The, the team camaraderie, the way teams rally together, the way a team you've literally never heard of till Selection Sunday, if you're just Johnny Q basketball fan, can come out of nowhere and turn into this crazy entity. Now, I don't take Isaac to mean that the Tar Heels are more popular than the NBA, but college basketball, more popular, perhaps more thrilling. Certainly the format plays a big role here. The one and done nature of March Madness. Everyone fills out a bracket. Everyone is in a March Madness pool. And it makes it easy to root for a team that you've never seen play basketball before. We know what Cinderella stories look like. You didn't have to know where Florida Gulf Coast University was to enjoy Dunk City. That's what makes March Madness so uniquely compelling. But if we're talking about basketball, it's such a better product in the pro game. And I would argue the pro game is more compelling from a drama standpoint strictly because we know these players better. We have more history, more shared history, not just with the players, but with the teams. And you can remember every player that was on the court when Ray Allen hit that shot in the corner against the San Antonio Spurs in the finals. You remember every player that was on the court when Kyrie Irving hit the three that helped beat the 73-win Warriors because we had history with that team to that point and we've had more history since then. In college, it's not the same. A lot of these players are one and done. Can you name more than one or two players on the court when Villanova won the national title in breathtaking fashion? On a buzzer beater. I can't. Not off the top of my head. Certainly if I looked at the roster, I'd go, oh yeah, that guy was on this team. That guy, that guy, that guy. And and hardcore college basketball fans could. But we don't have the same sort of connection to those players the way that we do NBA players. So not only is the product better, but the stars make it a more compelling product. Now, is any game as exciting as March Madness? Mm, I think we could argue maybe not, but I'd also argue that a lot of what makes March Madness so compelling is bad basketball. It's missing free throws. It's not knowing time and score. It's the possession arrow. And I just, I can't get on board with that. I'm sorry, Isaac. You're my guy, but you're wrong. And finally, there's pitching around hitters, and then there's what happened on Thursday in the White Sox-Dodgers game. Manager Tony La Russa did something I'm not sure I've ever seen. He called for an intentional walk on a hitter who already had two strikes. In the sixth inning, while the Dodgers had a 7-5 lead, Trey Turner had a 1-2 and two count. One ball and two strikes against him when La Russa made the call to walk Turner to face Max Muncy. Remember, this is not... The days where you would pitch around and nibble on the edges. And if you walked him, fine. This is an intentional walk. Muncie, because the baseball gods are just and merciful, then hit a three-run shot to make the game 10-5. And the White Sox ultimately lost 11-9. Could have used those three runs back. This was Tony LaRusso's worst decision as a manager since he complained about his own players running up the score and bat-flipping 
just last season. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go make your second listen, Locked On NBA. From the first jump ball of the play-in tournament to the last possession of the finals, Locked On experts take you deep inside the playoffs with insight and analysis affecting all 30 teams. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Coming up Monday, just how deep will the NBA final series between the Celtics and Golden State Warriors go? So at least until Monday, stay locked on sports today.